Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Casper's bad night of sleep and the Iowa caucus story keeps getting worse. But first, impeachment, the final chapter, maybe. As you've certainly heard by now, the U.S. Senate yesterday voted to acquit President Trump of two impeachment charges brought by the House, a completely partisan vote against convicting on obstruction of justice and Republican Mitt Romney crossing over to vote with Democrats on their losing effort to convict on abuse of power. The real question now is if Democrats move on or if they continue to pursue their investigation into why exactly the Trump White House delayed aid to an American ally in Ukraine. For example, they still could call John Bolton or go to court to get testimony from Mick Mulvaney, things they punted on before because they thought it would take too long and bleed into the presidential campaign. Why all of this matters is because congressional Democrats face a stark choice. Let lingering impeachment become the new normal or decide that Trump's own new normal is the status quo and then just wait and pray for November. In 15 seconds, we'll dig into all of that with Axios reporter Elena Treen, who spent the past several weeks camped out on Capitol Hill. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Axios political reporter Elena Treen. The impeachment trial ends how everyone expected it would, which was an acquittal on mostly a partisan vote. You were in the room for all of this from the beginning to the end. What, if anything, surprised you over the last couple of weeks? I think one of the biggest surprises and something that we really didn't know would happen until the day it did was that there was going to be no new witnesses or new documents pulled in the trial. And that's something that Democrats are still focusing on now that the president has even been acquitted. So that was something that was very surprising. Then, of course, we also saw Senator Mitt Romney come out during the vote and vote against or say the president was guilty on abuse of power. And that was also a massively big surprise since no Republicans voted to impeach him in the House and he was the only Republican in the Senate to find him guilty. And I think, am I right in saying he is now, granted, this has only happened, this is the third time in history, but it was the only time that a member of the president's party has ever voted to convict on an impeachment charge ever. I mean, going back to Johnson, going back to Clinton, correct? Yes, and I believe that's true. And and something that's really interesting about Mitt Romney is he left a note with some. He, he gave a very powerful speech on the Senate floor just hours before he cast his vote. And you could see that there was a ton of pressure on him. He put a note, he hand-signed one to every one of his Republican colleagues and stuck it in their boxes in the cloakrooms before you head into the Senate. And it just showed, just kind of explaining why he made this decision. And really, if you look at someone like Senator Mitt Romney, he's from Utah. It's not an sort easy of vote. from Utah. From Utah, right. by way of Massachusetts, yes. Michigan, and New Hampshire. Yes. yes, yes. But it's not something that he did to benefit him politically. It would have been far easier for him to say, you know, look, the, what the president did was wrong, but it wasn't impeachable. But he didn't go with that. He said he was taking a vote of conscience. And really, as we saw, the only Republican who went against the party, and he knew that he was going to experience some vitriol from the party, not just, you know, now, as we've seen from President Trump, Don Jr. has gone after him, but also I think this will stick with him for some time now. And so he really voted. You, you don't see that often. A lot of times these are political calculating 
votes, and he he didn't do the easy political choice here. Can I just ask real quick? I wasn't planning to talk so much about Romney, but let me just ask. You know, Don Jr. as you said, you know, has said he should be expelled from the party. Lou Dobbs, I think, had a had a poll on his silly show last night asking if Romney should be removed from the party. From a pure math perspective, wouldn't it be a disaster for Republicans if they essentially voluntarily got rid of a solid red Senate seat in in what is still pretty close math going into November? Oh, totally. And the reactions we saw are, if you, I was on the Hill yesterday after all this happened, and you know, I spoke with a lot of Republican senators just saying, like, do you agree with some of these people who are saying remove him from the party or remove him, expel him from the GOP conference? And they were like, listen, no. They were like, no, that's not really a good idea. He had a vote with the way we all struggle between, you know, voting with our conscience and with in line with what we believe the Constitution tells us to act and also have to report to our voters. And most people said, you know, any idea like that is totally absurd. But the people who did come out are the ones who you would expect, like people like Don Jr. and and people who don't really think about the long term, sometimes consequences of politics because they're not in the party or not in Congress themselves. Let me go back to something you said earlier, which was that even though there's an acquittal on these charges, the Democrats are talking about kind of reopening might be too strong a word, but continuing to dig into issues surrounding the president and his interactions with Ukraine. What exactly does that mean? So we're saying that what happened yesterday isn't necessarily the end of this? It really is going to depend on how they move forward next. And that is the big question on the Hill. As soon as the vote ended, everyone started asking, "Okay, what do you do now? Do you leave this? And I I spoke with some senators and congressmen, someone like Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland. He's on the Judiciary Committee and he said, listen, we need to hear from Bolton. It doesn't matter that this is over. And just because the president was acquitted doesn't mean that we, in the event that he does continue to commit high crimes and misdemeanors, as Congressman Raskin called it, or any sort of action. Like, we're going to continue to look at this. And so they're not shutting the door at all. We saw Congressman Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, say it's likely that they could try to bring some sort of subpoena against Bolton to still hear from him. So I imagine that the door isn't fully closed so you're, you're on this. you're saying there is still some appetite, and obviously this would happen on the House. So you're saying there is still some appetite in the House, in theory, for potentially impeaching again, depending on what they would hear from witnesses. I don't think any Democrats are closing the door on anything. Again, I, I, it's it, it's hard to know. You know, a few people now still being super fired up about impeachment is different than looking at, you know, in the weeks and months ahead, whether there really is that appetite here to do that again. But I don't think anyone is closing the door. I would be very, very surprised if they try to take any similar action before the election now that we're so close to uh, the presidential in November. But I, if the president does win again in November, by all means, I don't think anyone would rule out that there could be another impeachment down the road. How, how does this play more broadly? I'm thinking particularly among Senate Republicans. So, so they kind of rallied around their man, right? They supported the home team in this in the end. Democrats and, and kind of say outsiders look at this to a certain extent and say, well, among other things, this kind of shows the fecklessness of the Senate in the sense of the Senate kind of punted, basically said, it's our guy, so we support him. But we've seen this before. Look, we saw this when it came to the situation with the Kurds. We saw this with the situation when it came to the strike in Iran. Do Senate Republicans believe they still have a power to Congress or do they kind of acknowledge privately that they've ceded it to the White House? You know, that's a great question. And I've asked a lot of Senate Republicans about this. They will none of them would admit or say that they think that they've given power to the White House or that this vote and the way that this impeachment process has played out has weakened congressional authority. But it was a very partisan impeachment, part of the reason a lot of Republicans voted to acquit the president. But also, it's something that we've seen throughout the president's administration. People who would normally go against him really 
not coming out and criticizing him publicly, not doing a lot to stand up against President Trump, and even people who had in the past, someone like Senator Ben Sass, was a frequent Trump critic, joining and jumping on the on the president's bandwagon, really, with a lot of his other fiercest allies, because a lot of the big reasons here are political motivations. People in these countries, they love the president. He has a very strong base, and sometimes speaking up or going against him is political suicide. Let me ask from the other side, on the Democrat side, when you looked at people, for example, like Lamar Alexander, on the Republican side who voted against it, one of the arguments they made was that the Democrats basically didn't offer an impeachable offense. Like, president did wrong, but he didn't do anything that would warrant removal from office. Do Democrats feel they made a mistake not including bribery, explicit bribery in the articles of impeachment, since everyone would agree that if proven, bribery indeed would be an impeachable offense? There was talk about that. We did see toward the end of the House impeachment investigation in the fall, we did see people like Speaker Pelosi and other Democratic leaders use the word bribery to kind of solidify and focus the charges. And then they dropped it. Yes. I mean, I think the wordplay here, Democrats feel that they did what they needed. Everyone really went into this impeachment process knowing that there was almost no chance that the president would be convicted and removed from office. Elena, final question for you. You were in the room from the beginning to the middle to the end of this, and you now will get to show your grandchildren someday all the Getty images of you sitting behind people and chasing after people for comment. So my final question for you, tell us one thing that you saw or heard or noticed over the last several weeks that those of us just reading the news stories and maybe watching on TV didn't. Being in the room was, for this process in particular, was very important because no one got to see the reactions on senators' faces. The cameras, there was one camera. They had insane rules in the Senate, which were infuriating to many reporters like myself. So the best was just watching the way that senators reacted throughout this entire process. And that's something that I'm very grateful I got to see firsthand. You'd hear audible groans when that's really, you know, you're supposed to remain silent. You'd see people's faces just drop or the way that they'd react. That's something that I think is super important and a really great reason to have reporters in the room and that they allowed that to happen. Elena Treen, Axios political reporter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Casper, the upstart mattress maker that last night experienced what can most generously be described as an underwhelming IPO. What was once a $1 billion company, according to its venture capitalists, is now worth just over half that. So three things to know. First, almost no one expected this IPO to do well, and there were even some doubts as to if it could get out at all. Casper isn't profitable, doesn't necessarily have a path to profitability, and didn't provide any data on sales for its non-mattress products like sheets and pillows. And that's a pretty big problem because mattresses themselves have very long replacement cycles. Second, don't extrapolate Casper's struggles to mean that the entire direct-to-consumer market is a dud. Again, mattresses are very different than shoes or makeup in terms of purchasing behavior. Third, also don't take this to assume that the IPO market at large is struggling. Just this morning, two other companies, both in the healthcare space, priced IPOs at the top of their prospective ranges. And finally, recriminations continue over the Iowa caucus debacle. And the latest piece of head-scratching information is that the app used to tabulate votes was distributed not via an app store, but via mobile testing platforms like Apple's TestFlight. 
Now look, TestFlight is a fine system. We use it here at Axios, but it is not meant for widespread distribution. It is meant for a small, limited number of testers. And it's also something that requires users to actually download two apps instead of one. First, you have to download TestFlight, and then you get to download the actual app. And that isn't really what you want for caucus precinct captains, many of whom are elderly retirees. Every day, it seems, we get new information, and every day, it's more problematic. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Frozen Yogurt Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.